Hello everybody and welcome to the Long Range Science Podcast. So now with this being our first uh, kind of in-depth dive episode, the topic I wanted to go over today is going to be uh, long range shooting and wind. So the reason for that is because this is going to be one of the most common questions I get asked by people who are either new to long range shooting or want to get into long range shooting but are a little bit intimidated to start. So it comes down to not only how do you measure the wind, but once you know the wind speed, how do you actually go ahead and make the corrections you need to get your shot on target where you want to. So I think windage is going to be the biggest question people have because it, it really comes down to be one of the last great variables in long range shooting. So with the advancement in ballistic calculators, range finders, uh, ballistic informations available, uh, going through and dialing and getting your elevation drop really is nowhere near as complicated as it used to be. It might take a little bit of tweaking to get it dialed in exactly. Uh, but in all honesty, getting your elevation figured out is a fairly simple task. And then once you do have it figured out, it usually stays pretty constant with minor changes. So wind, on the other hand, wind is an ever-changing variable. It can change in speed, it can change in direction, and all those different things <clears throat> are going to have an effect on the bullet's flight downrange. So it's much harder to measure, it's much harder to get an accurate idea of what the wind is truly doing. And that's what's going to separate great shooters from good shooters is the ability to read wind and read those wind changes. But so let's start off and kind of work our way up to some of those topics. But the main one I wanted to start with, as we mentioned, that wind speed and wind direction um, essentially matter the same amount. So not only do you need to know how fast the wind is, but you need to know the direction it's coming in relative to where you're shooting. So the reason for that is because all things ballistic and ballistic flight and things like that, the velocity of the bullet going downrange, um, all of that's going to be broken up into vectors, meaning they've got a magnitude and a direction. So we've got a speed and then we have a direction that that bullet is moving. So wind is going to be the same way. So we're going to have a uh, value, so we're going to have the wind speed, but then we also need to know a direction. And so that wind direction is going to be broken up into two components. So you're basically going to have one that's pushing either with or against the bullet, and then you're going to have one pushing horizontally against the bullet, causing your wind deflection. So it's all going to come down to vector math. It's just a lot of triangle math. It's really not that complicated, <clears throat> but let's kind of go in to that a little bit. So the first system of measurement that usually gets talked about is going to be, uh, you'll hear what's referred to as either a full value wind, a half value wind, or a null value wind. So uh, pretty generic, it's not very precise, it's not my preferred method of doing this, uh, but it is one you'll hear a lot. So a full value wind essentially means uh, the wind is coming from your side when you're looking at the target. So either straight on your right side or straight on your left side. Full value meaning that 100% of that wind is pushing horizontally on the bullet causing wind deflection. So now a half value wind is going to be that wind is coming at some angle between you and the target. So now it can be either like 30 to 60 degrees um, towards the target on the right side, from the left side, and even from uh, the back and the left and the right side. So the, that just basically means <clears throat> that you've got a portion of the wind is going to be pushing forward or against the bullet, and another portion of it is going to be pushing horizontally on the bullet, causing your deflection back to our vector math. So the reason I don't like that is because there are corrections in there that the half value wind doesn't cover. It's just not quite precise enough. And it is misleading because uh, what we'll see here in a minute is that 
referring to it as a half value when it's misleading because it's not actually going to be accounting for half of the value of the wind. If you have a 10 mile an hour wind coming at a 45 degree angle to you, you can't assume a horizontal wind component of 5 miles an hour. Just not how the math works, so it is misleading. And then last one we mentioned is a no value wind, which means the wind is either going to be coming um, heading or tailing, coming straight on from in front or behind. So it's called a no value wind because the wind direction is going to be in line with the bullet path, meaning it's not going to cause any horizontal deflection of that bullet that needs to be accounted for. So that's another topic for another day, but so right now we're just going to talk about wind and the way it deflects the bullet horizontally. So the other system, the one that I do like a lot more, is going to be a clock orientation system. With the shooter being in the center, the target being at 12 o'clock. So pretty simple. So 3 o'clock is the right-hand side, 9 o'clock is the left-hand side, 6 o'clock is behind, and then you're going to break it down into that clock system. So 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 7 o'clock, doesn't matter. Um, anything in that orientation, and what that's going to do is that's going to give you a much more accurate representation of the direction of the wind and how much uh, horizontal component of that wind is going to be affecting the bullet. So, as we talked about, we're going to break this wind up into vectors. So if you have a 10 mile an hour wind that is coming from the 3 o'clock position, you are going to account for that full 10 miles an hour. Because every component of that wind is going to be pushing horizontally against the bullet. So now where things start to get interesting is when you do start getting wind at that angle. So now let's go back to our 45 degrees. We mentioned it's not going to be half of the total wind value because let's just kind of go and look at some triangle math here, get back into a little bit of trigonometry. So what that means is that the 130 position, that's basically a 45 degree angle to the shooter coming from the right. So you're going to have a component of the wind pushing back towards the bullet and a component of the wind pushing left on the bullet wanting to cause it to drift to the left horizontally. So when we're breaking down these triangles and units, um, so we're just kind of going to use some basic triangles. So for a 45 degree triangle, what you have is you have two equal sides and then you have the hypotenuse, which is uh, the longer line that connects the two endpoints of the equal lines. So that hypotenuse is going to be what we're referring to as our 10 mile an hour wind. The, the full value of the wind is heading in that direction. We need to break it up into the components. So when you start looking at these, we're going to break it down. I'll just kind of do this one quick just to kind of give you guys an example. What you end up with is you have the two equal sides. If they are set equal to 1, the hypotenuse is the square root of 2, meaning that whatever the length of those equal, equal sides are, um, the hypotenuse is going to be that times the square root of 2, which is 1.4, roughly. We'll, be, we'll do a little bit of rounding. So now what that means and how that means it's going to come into your windage correction is the full value of the wind is going to be 1.4 times more than the horizontal component of the wind. So if you're reading 10 miles an hour, you're going to need to know how to convert that into that horizontal component to know how much of the wind's actually going to be causing deflection. So what that translates to is just kind of going through and doing the math at a 45 degree angle you are going to account for horizontal deflection of 71% of your total wind value. So that means if you have a 10 mile an hour wind coming at a 45 degree angle, your horizontal component of that wind is going to be 
roughly seven miles an hour. So now at a 60 degree angle or the two o'clock position, that goes up to about 0.87, so you can almost round it to 0.9. So if you have a 10 mile an hour wind at a 60 degree angle or the two o'clock position, uh, that's gonna translate into roughly a nine mile an hour wind. So now you go to the one o'clock position and now that's gonna drop to a half. So that is where you get your half value when it's gonna be 50% of the wind is gonna be acting horizontally on the bullet at the one o'clock position. So that makes sense. The closer you get to three o'clock, the more wind correction, the closer you get to 12 o'clock, the less wind correction. So now this also just doesn't work in that system or that coordinates of the clock. It's, it's the same thing on the left-hand side and even behind. So the one o'clock is gonna be a half value, which is also gonna be the same as a five o'clock correction. It's gonna be the same as a seven o'clock correction and it's gonna be the same as an 11 o'clock correction. Basically what you're just trying to know is how much of the wind is pushing horizontally away from the direction of the target. It doesn't matter if it's coming in front or behind, the horizontal component is gonna be the same. If it's on the left-hand side of the clock, between the six and 12 o'clock position, it's gonna be pushing the bullet to the right. If it's between the 12 and the six going around clockwise, it's gonna be pushing the bullet to the left. So that's our basic coordinate systems and that's how the corrections are gonna break down. So yeah, just remember anything that's coming at the six o'clock <clears throat> position or the 12 o'clock position is gonna basically have essentially no value in pushing that bullet horizontally. The three and the nine o'clock positions is where you are gonna take your wind measurement or your wind reading and you're gonna apply the full value to your ballistic calculator, your ballistic solver, and then in between that is where you start having to get into some correction factors. So, <clears throat> so with that, now that we do know our wind speed, the easiest way that's gonna to be to find our ballistic correction and how much offset we're gonna have is gonna be based off of a ballistic calculator. So with a ballistic calculator, I highly recommend investing in a wind reader system. If this is something you wanna get good at, something you really wanna dive into, a good wind reader is gonna be invaluable for this kind of stuff because you do need to get a good windage value to put into the ballistic calculator to get a good correction. So you can get as basic or as complex as you want. Um, I did start with just a basic Caldwell wind meter and it would give me nothing other than wind speed at my position. So now I actually have upgraded to a Kestrel 5700 with the ballistics package. And what, I, what it actually does and what makes it handy is it's got a calibration in it that I can point it at the direction of my target. I can measure the wind and point it at the direction of the wind and it's actually gonna do those mathematical corrections for me. So it just takes out one step I've got, but if you wanna start with the basics, um, you can definitely start with just a basic wind reader and you'll just have to go through and do those off angle corrections manually. So with a ballistics calculator, <clears throat> one thing that's gonna help you do is gonna help you set up your ballistics table to get your known wind values and give you the range of wind holds. So what I do personally like to do is I like to get my ballistic table set up for the distances uh, that I'm most likely gonna be shooting. So for me, that's usually 100 to 1,000 yards and I break that down into 100 yard increments. And then what I'm gonna go and do from there is I'm gonna enter a wind value and I'm gonna step up in either two or three miles per hour uh, for each step up to what I consider probably a reasonable wind that I might be expecting that day, or that match, or, or whatever the case. So you start with a two mile an hour, and then you're gonna populate your ballistic table with 
the outputs from your calculator all the way down through from 100 yards to 1,000 yards with two mile an hour variations. Uh, and then I'm going to go to four miles an hour, uh, do the same thing, and just populate this big table until I get up to probably 12 or 15 miles an hour somewhere in there is kind of what's what I consider reasonable for when I go out shooting. Obviously, there's times where that does uh, get bigger than that, but those are usually rare cases, and they're not that fun to shoot in anyway. But so I go through and I fill out this ballistic calculator. So now what I've got set up is I've got all of my uh, distances accounted for. I have my wind deflection for varying wind speeds at each of those values. And then I know when I go and shoot, that value that I put in for windage is going to be for the full value wind. So a wind from the 3 or 9 o'clock position. Um, it doesn't matter if it's coming from the left or right. The value is going to be the same. And then what I'll do from there is I'll take that table, and then if the wind is off at an angle, I will go back and use my correction numbers and just do some quick multiplication to the numbers that I have written out. So that's a very quick, very basic way of building a good windage table. And one thing you'll notice when you're going through and doing this is you'll start to notice a pattern in, in the wind deflection. So for the first little bit, it might consistently increase for every hundred yards you might be increasing by one MOA or a tenth of a mil depending on the wind speed um, whatever system you're using it really doesn't matter here um, you will kind of start to see these patterns as it progresses and you can kind of get an idea of the trajectory of the bullet downrange so so one thing we do want to keep in mind though is that the bullet is not going to be a linear correction as you go down range. So it's not going to be always increasing one MOA per 100 yards with the value of wind. Because the longer that bullet's in the air, the longer the wind has to push on it. So similar to gravity and the way it makes the bullet follow almost a parabolic arch, a constant wind is going to do the same thing. So it's going to come out of the barrel, it's going to be flowing toward, it's going to be going towards the target, the wind is going to be pushing on it sideways, and it's going to continue pushing the entire time that bullet is in flight. So that means that the deflection further out is going to be greater than the deflection closer into the barrel. I mean you are going to get almost you're going to get a curve effect of the bullet. So it's not completely linear, but you can get an idea of, of, of essentially the trend based on the values. <clears throat> okay. So now that's all the things that do go into getting a quick wind quick wind read, uh, wind direction, how that applies. Um, now let's talk about some of the things that we can do to kind of minimize wind's effects on our bullets. So there's a reason a lot of shooters now are going to very high velocity, high ballistic coefficient bullets. So as I mentioned a second ago, the bullet, the entire time that that bullet is in the air, it is going to be being acted on by the wind. So the amount that the bullet is going to be pushed by the wind is directly related to how long that bullet's in flight. Um, it's going to be related to a few other things that are a little bit more in-depth, but it does relate to how long that bullet is in flight. So if you have a high muzzle velocity bullet compared to a low muzzle velocity bullet, essentially assuming they have the same ballistic coefficient, you are going to get much less wind drift with a high velocity than you are with a low velocity just because the time to target is going to be longer for the low velocity, meaning the wind has more time to act on it. So now, that's really where the ballistic coefficient comes in because two bullets starting out at the same muzzle velocity, the one that has a higher ballistic coefficient is going to maintain its velocity 
better downrange. So higher, higher ballistic coefficient bullets are going to generally have less wind drift, mostly because they maintain their velocity going downrange much better than the lower BC bullet does, even if they start at the same muzzle velocity. <clears throat> so, I mean, uh, ballistic coefficient does also come into the bullet shape, and things like that are going to affect how much that bullet deflects in the air. Um, there's a lot of calculations and things that go into that they are a little bit beyond this. Uh, but that's typically why high ballistic coefficient bullets are going to be better, um, not only for drop and elevation changes at distance, but are also going to be more consistent at wind. So that's why some of these newer calibers, um, the 6mm Creedmoor, the 6.5 Creedmoor, um, have built a good reputation as competition in long-range cartridges, is because when especially compared to a 308, you have much higher ballistic coefficient bullets traveling at a much higher velocity, so you end up with not near the amount of wind drift you would with a 308. And so now, that amount of wind drift also does help us when our wind corrections are not exactly perfect. Um, when, you, when you get down to it, even a few miles an hour of wind speed variation uh, can have a big effect downrange. Now, one of the tables I put together the other night was going to be my 6mm Creedmoor. I'm shooting 105 Burger hybrids, and at a thousand yards, a two mile an hour wind difference um, led to a full MOA wind correction downrange. So now that means that I've got a one MOA band that I could have error in if my wind reading is going to be off by two miles an hour. So now one MOA, depending on the size of the target, isn't terrible, but it's going to be enough that it could put me off target if my hold's not correct. But now let's say a 308, within that same two mile an hour wind variation at a thousand yards, it may have more like a two or three MOA variation based on the wind speed. So that more consistent wind that you're getting with the high ballistic coefficient bullets is just going to give you a little more room for error for imperfect wind calls. It's just more forgiving that way, as in the percentage of deflection isn't going to be as great for the error in wind calculation versus it would be for something like a 308. And that's kind of reason that some of these new modern cartridges are starting to take over and dominate just because for one, more than anything, the wind deflection is going to be much more forgiving for inconsistent wind readings. So, now, we, now with that, a ballistic table and a ballistic calculator is going to be a great starting point, but it's not going to be the end all. So now, some ballistic calculators actually do allow you to put in the direction the wind is coming from, while some do not, they just assume it's a full value wind. So the one that I use um, before I got my Kestrel, which has the applied ballistics ballistic calculator in it, I was using the Hornady uh, 4 Degree of Freedom app. It's just free on the App Store, but it ended up being a pretty good calculator. And what I did like about that is it does allow me to put in the direction of the wind, uh, also the magnitude, and it would make those corrections for me. But if you have a ballistic calculator that doesn't do that, <clears throat> um, it is going to kind of give you some errors that we talked about that you are going to have to work through and come back and account for. So now, the other downside of ballistic calculators is when you enter that wind value, what it's going to do is it is going, it's going to assume that that wind speed is going to be constant at that speed and that direction the entire distance between you and the target. It's treating, it's treating that windage as a constant between you and the target. And anybody who's ever gone and shot knows that that is hardly 
ever the case. Unless you're out in the big plain um, with a constant wind, it's it's hardly ever going to be that consistent, especially out here where I shoot in the western U.S. There's a lot of hills, there's a lot of canyons, and a lot of valleys, and a lot of shifting winds and swirling winds. So now the ballistic calculator and those ballistic tables are going to be a great starting point, but they're not going to be able to account for really all the variables that are going to go on with the wind downrange to target. I mean, most of the time when I go shooting, um, you have a high wind at the shooter, a lower wind, partially, partially downrange, and then sometimes even a swirling wind that's heading the other direction at the target. And these are things that ballistic calculators can't can account for right now just because of the complexity of entering them in and, and where that windage value <clears throat> is going to be applied. So this is where it's up to us as a shooter to practice, to make sure that we are going to be good at wind reading, that we practice this, that we know what's going on, so that we can make those corrections to our ballistics table. So a few of the better ways that you can get good at reading wind is really just going to be by practice. So wind readers and wind meters are going to be absolutely fantastic, but they have uh, the same downside as ballistic calculators in that they are only taking the windage at the shooter's position. So if you do have a crosswind further downrange, your wind reader is not going to be able to pick that up at your location. It's only going to pick up the wind at your location. And as long as you know that and you can correct for it, um, then you're going to be okay. But that is something I think a lot of people forget is they go solely off their wind reader and fail to take into account any wind corrections that may be coming in downrange. So now the ways that we can get better at this <clears throat> is going to be by going out, taking out our wind reader, and, and actually practicing with it. So one of the things I do like to do when I'm out shooting, or even if it's just a windy day outside, I'll take my wind reader, um, I'll get some wind readings, and then I'll start trying to get a look and feel for how that wind's affecting to get myself better at, at guessing the wind and not being solely reliant on the wind reader. So one of the big ones that if you guys have looked into this you might have seen is going to be reading the Mirage. So now reading the Mirage is, is a fairly good indicator. It'll give you a good idea of which direction the wind is going and it will give you a rough idea of the speed. So no wind, obviously your heat wave lines are going to be traveling straight up. Um, they start to get a little bit more like a 30 degree angle somewhere in there when you start to get to about two to four miles an hour. Um, four to eight or so, that mirage starts to get a little bit steeper. This is hard to explain on a podcast. There's definitely pictures up that you guys can go look at and get this out and, and see an idea of what it looks like. But then the problem with those is as soon as you get to about 10 or 12 miles an hour of wind, um, the heat wave lines are going to look essentially horizontal. So at that point, they're no longer really readable. You just know that it's over a certain amount, but you don't know. No, 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 know what the correct amount is at that point. So those are good, but there is a little bit of room for error in those, being that you have to kind of look at it and see which angle it's moving, and then there's also some variations in that angle. So another one is going to be um, watching trees, watching grass, those kind of things, and see what value of wind it takes to cause a certain amount of deflection in some grass or some brush. Um, the other thing is going to be if you have a range where you can go up and set windage flags down range and set them up every hundred yards. Um, measure the wind and see what kind of effect it has on a wind flag at your location. Put that same wind flag or the same size or style 
at each of your target locations and then see how that wind compares to what you're getting at your location. <clears throat> so with that, you'll be able to get better at wind reading and, and it takes a lot of practice, it does. It's something that I'm still working on, something that I'm by no means great at, but at least by doing that, you can start to get a general feel for what the wind is gonna be doing and what the wind speed is based on how it affects things around you and you're not gonna be solely reliant on your wind reader. And that's a very important, very critical skill to have because uh, when you're going through a shooting session or you're going through a competition stage, you might not always have your wind reader easily accessible. And even if you do, there's a lot of times where that wind is gonna shift and change during your course of fire. You're not gonna be able to set and reset your wind every single shot most of the time. So being able to pick up on those variations of wind is gonna be key to really dialing that in and make minute corrections right before the shot if needed. The wind meter and your ballistic calculator are gonna give you a great starting point, but then it's gonna be up to you to really decide the moment that trigger's pulled, what that wind is doing, and how much it's actually gonna affect the bullet. So now not only wind changes, but this does come into also watching <clears throat> how the wind changes downrange. So as I mentioned, sometimes you might have a strong wind at the shooter, a weaker wind, uh, downrange, and then maybe a crosswind that's coming the totally opposite direction. So now this one, unfortunately, there's really not a good way to calculate and account for that because you don't really know what that windage value is. <clears throat> and ballistic calculators, it's a little bit too complex for ballistic calculators to solve. So unfortunately, the only way that you're really gonna be able to figure that out and really gonna be good at that is gonna be just to go practice and see how that wind affects. You can get an idea of wind speed, you can start monitoring at what ranges that wind shifts, what the wind speed is at that range based on your perception of the environmentals, and you can start getting an idea, okay, saying, so if I have a windage change that dies down by three or four miles an hour at 500 yards, this is gonna be the effect it has, and it's just gonna be collecting a whole host of data and a whole ton of practice. And that's why they refer to it as dope, so data on previous engagements. You always wanna be recording, you always wanna be learning from your previous shot's data and using that to make your next shot just that much better. And like I said, that's what's gonna be separating the great shooters from the good shooters, is that ability to pick up on the wind variances and the wind discrepancies and be able to come back and make those corrections. Those are the people that win matches. Those are the people that score high when everybody else scores lows because they can see that and they can make those corrections. And it just comes from training, from practice, from intuition, and just having a good understanding of what your gun is gonna do in that situation. That's really what it all comes down to, and that's gonna be the only way and the best way that you can really dial it in that way. So hopefully this helped. Hopefully this was kind of a quick breakdown of some of the things windage related. We talked about how to kind of set up a ballistics table. I would highly recommend doing that. Go start to look for those linear patterns and look at, for those correction patterns for different wind values and different ranges using your rifle. Set that up, study it, know your rifle, know your gear, but more importantly than anything, just get out and practice. Wind is that one that you are just never gonna be able to fully calculate for. It's gonna come down to experience, it's gonna come down to practice, and it's just gonna come down to getting enough trigger time to know how your gun is gonna behave and how it is gonna perform in those instances. And even with that, 
everybody is not going to get 100% first round hits. Anybody that tells you that they can get a first round hit 100% of the time at 1,000 yards is an absolute liar and you should just dismiss them right there on the spot. No one's going to do that. Even the greats miss. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, and in those cases, the best thing that you can do is going to be follow the fundamentals. Of keep your head on the gun. Send that first shot downrange. Keep your head down. Watch through your scope. Spot the impact. And if needed, make that correction. Make a note of what happened. Make a note of the environment and make a note of the situations. See where your impact was. Come back. Make the correction. <clears throat> and always work on that. And those are going to be some of the key fundamentals that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on as well. So, so with this, the last thing I did want to talk about is now coming back and actually making your windage correction. So if you're new to shooting, this is something you guys might not have done before um, as far as your hold-offs and things like that. So we'll kind of just do a really quick rundown of that. So historically, a lot of you hunters and people who grew up hunting and rifle scopes uh, kind of built around that situation might just be kind of used to reticles with a straight crosshair. So now you may fill out your ballistic calculator, you might find out how much wind correction you're going to need, but now how do you actually correct for that in the scope? So now with those uh, more traditional hunting style scopes, it's going to be a lot more difficult. They're not really made to do some of these corrections. So that's where you hear what's referred to as Kentucky windage. So Kentucky windage, the way I, I'm going to describe it is basically going to be, okay, you know there's wind, you know you need to make an offset, but you, you have no physical way to measure how much of an offset you're getting. So you're going to hold your crosshairs a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, whatever kind of feels right, but you're not going to have a good hard measurement to go off of. Um, it's a very valid way to do it. It's, it's been used for a long time. There's been a lot of animals taken and a lot of targets hitting using that method, but it's really not an optimal method because there is no measurement and no true correction that goes into it. It's basically going to be just shooter feel. So a lot of the advancements in modern rifle scopes and things have led to um, etched reticles with measurement marks in the reticles and then also exposed elevation and windage turrets so that you can make elevation and windage changes by turning the knobs on your scope and it's going to move your reticle that direction to account for those corrections. So now either way is perfectly valid and like I said whether you use an MOA scope or a mill scope it doesn't matter as long as you're using consistent measurements across all of your devices. Um, all your gear is going to be in the same measurements or else you're just going to get lost in trying to get some corrections. So <clears throat> you can either calculate how much wind is going to deflect your bullet and you can dial that in your scope turrets or you can use a marked and measured reticle to make those corrections as well. So personally for me when I'm engaging targets out to a thousand yards I I almost never actually use the dials to adjust for wind. So the reticle I've got it's got um, MOA marks every one MOA horizontally on the crosshairs and I just use those marks to come over my measurements. So if I have uh, let's say a five mile an hour wind at a thousand yards my hold off is going to be six MOA. Um, I'm just going to come over and hold six MOA through my reticle lines and I'm going to use that as my measurement. So the reason I prefer to do that instead of dialing is because if that first wind call um, isn't exact or if the wind's going to pick up and shift it's easy for me just to go back and hurry and adjust in my reticle those corrections where if I dial 
you want to you tend to want to hold dead center you might not correct and you're going to come back to center um, both methods are totally valid i'm not trying to say one's better than the other but for me personally holding wind is going to be much easier than actually trying to dial it and that's just the method i use dialing it's perfectly acceptable um, if you want to do that but those are going to be the two main methods so i, I do highly recommend those and especially for long range shooting um, get a scope with a measured reticle something that has the graduation marks in it that are measured in either mil or moa so that you can make those corrections and then get adjustable scope turrets so that you can make those corrections for elevation and windage. I mean, traditional scopes, there's there's nothing wrong with them for a lot of applications, but when it really comes to this, you are going to need to truly know your holds and be able to measure them to really be good and consistent at long-range shooting. And like I said, long-range science and long-range shooting is going to be all about taking all of these variables, solving for them, making the corrections, making the correct and measured corrections that we need, to come and get on target, take the guesswork out of it, and do everything we can to maximize our chance for first round hits with all those variables and then knowing that certain situations are going to come up where it's not always going to be the case, having the fundamentals and having the discipline down that we need to to come back, make those corrections, and get back on target. Hey, I appreciate everyone for listening. We'll finish out this first episode with some more to come. I appreciate you being here with me. Thanks, everybody.